Well, Eric, I thought did a great job last Sunday bringing some facts and figures to our attention about how important it is when we show up as the people of God, as the carriers of light and the ones who have been given the task of advancing the kingdom of heaven. Every one of us are part of that mission. And uh, today, as I start my message, I, I'm going to try to live up to all the hype that Eric gave me last Sunday. <laughs> but I think these next two weeks, I'm, I'm praying that um, the Word of God would speak to us beyond our opinions, beyond our political proclivities, beyond our memes our one-liners, all our virtue signaling that we do in the ether of face puke and other places like Instasham, (laughs) Twister. I hope the word of God is the grounding for what you do and for how you do it and why you do it. Because we do live in a critical hour, but it's an hour that God specially put you and I on the planet. For such a time as this, and not just the 2020 election, it goes way beyond that. The mission, the purpose, why you and I are here, it's now, it's this, this is the time. And Jesus said we are salt and we are light. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm just going to start right with Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about this. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, this is a command from the man who saved our soul. These are facts that he has laid out for us. Because he knew that the kingdom that he was ushering in was a counter kingdom. It was ushering in a counter culture to the systems of man, to the ways of man. And you know, you don't have to be real smart to know that we are in a culture war. And it didn't just start with COVID. It's been here for over 50 years now in America. And it's a war that's against our nation's foundations. Yes, our Christian heritage as a nation. It's a war against the biblical uh, accounts of how we were created in the image of God and in the likeness of God. It's a war that's against our biblical convictions about unborn humans 
and the sacred, precious uh, nature of those unborn ones. It's a war against our biblical beliefs about human sexuality and how it was designed by God for one man and one woman in the context of a marriage relationship. It's a war against our biblical values of what family is and faith. It's a war against our religious freedom. There is a war. And whether or not you're engaging the enemy, let me tell you, he's engaging you. Now, it is a foundational biblical truth that God expects his people to join him on his mission to redeem and transform our lost world. Now, one of the problems is is that many Christians today want to limit that mission to only the saving of souls while ignoring the whole changing of culture part of the mission. And so what this does is it leads a lot of people to believe that the uh, engaging culture in the area of government, education, entertainment, and science, that it's, it's unimportant. It's a distraction from the church's real mission, getting people saved. Well, this tendency to erect this artificial wall of separation between the sacred and the secular is one of the most devastating problems that's hindering the church when it comes to this issue of being salt and light. When it comes to the issue of making an impact in our communities, in our state, and in our nation. Truly, I believe this false approach to Christianity has very serious consequences. And if we do not take the responsibility that the Lord Jesus gave us to function as salt and light in the world, our culture has no other result but to become thoroughly corrupt and spiritually dark. Here's the bottom line. Because of this false wall of separation we have handed over the culture and society to the powers of sin and darkness by default so let's talk about a worldview when we think about culture we have to think about our world view now what is a worldview well a worldview is the big picture the basic set of beliefs or convictions from which you look at and make sense of the world. Think of it like a pair of tinted glasses that color how the whole world looks to you. For example, if you look at the value of human life through glasses tinted with the belief that we are the unique Uh, creation of a loving God, you will come to one view of abortion. However, if your glasses are tinted with the belief that man simply evolved as a result of chance, and we are therefore no different than the animals, you will arrive at another view of abortion. Our worldview, it matters. It matters. 
Now, what is a Christian worldview? Well, at the core of a genuine Christianity, a a Christian worldview, is a personal relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's where it has to start. And once we have that established, we, then we have to understand what the Lord Jesus expects of us as his followers, as it is articulated in the Bible. And those core teachings, they should determine the way we see and understand all reality. Someone else say amen besides Jeff. All reality. So, a Christian worldview is a set of beliefs and convictions shaped by our relationship with Christ and defined by Scripture. Unfortunately, very few who claim to be Christian actually have a Christian worldview. In fact, only about 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview as the basis for their decision-making. Do you want to know what it looks like when a nation turns down to about 4% of its population believing the word? just need to look at England. They are at a 4% Christianity rate. But it is only when we have a biblical worldview that we can see the current culture war for what it really is. It is just a continuation of the cosmic war fought from the beginning of time between our sovereign creator and one of his misfit created beings. We know him as Satan. He's the adversary, and he is the arch enemy of God. And in this cosmic war, we have our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus, and he has called us out. And we have been given a mission to join him in his continuing mission to redeem and ultimately restore this lost world. And we have been equipped with the indwelling power of God's Spirit. Acts 1.8. Thank God for Pentecost. We have been equipped with this power of the Holy Spirit living inside us. And our commands are clear from Jesus. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go. Say, go. Now say it again. Say, I go. go. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to what? Obey. Oh, we hate that word. All my sensitive, you know, uh, preferences are offended by obedience. Don't tell me to obey. I'd lose my choice. Teach them to obey everything I have 
commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So let's look at this salt and light. We have to understand that our mission is not only to partner with God in leading the people to salvation, absolutely important. Our mission is also to help bring individuals under the rule of Christ as Lord. People under the reign of Christ should have an influence on the family they are a part of as well as the culture and society and the nation they live in. Our influence should be an intentional part of the mission that Jesus has given us. And Jesus illustrated this intentional influence in Matthew chapter 5 about salt and light. We read that earlier. He uses two metaphors to describe the very essence of what we are to do and to be as his followers. We are to impact the world as salt and as light. So let's look at salt. What are some qualities about salt? Well, first of all, salt is essential to life. You may have not have known this, but without salt, the fluids in our body cannot be kept in proper balance. All my medical people say, yeah, and amen. amen. <laughs> you know, another fact is that salt, uh, pure salt, was an actual valuable commodity in the ancient world. In the Greek world, slaves were actually bought with salt. And in the Roman world, soldiers were paid with salt. We even get our English word salary from the Latin word salaria, which means, guess what? Salt. I mean, if you've ever wondered where the phrase, you know, he's not worth his salt comes from, this is it, literally. They were paid in salt. It was so important and so precious. And we have an abundance of salt in the world. You know, the oceans contain about a quarter pound of salt per gallon of water. In fact, if salt were not present in the oceans, the oceans would become rotten cesspools. Isn't God brilliant? Salt is essential. And so when Jesus called us salt and light, he meant this. You are indispensable for what I want to do in the world. Say, I am indispensable to what God wants to do in the world. Now, not only is salt indispensable, its vital function is only performed when it's made available, when it sacrifices itself. See, salt does what it does in the dissolving. 
It does what it does by giving of itself. And when salt, it's only when salt is dissolved that it performs its function and actually has the impact it's supposed to have. You see, salt, it exercises influence by the sacrificing of itself. Therefore, we will make an impact on the world only to the extent that we make ourselves available and give ourselves to be used of God. I think it's one of our mission points in our mission statement, isn't it? Serving sacrificially. Being salt means we give of ourselves. We die. We make ourselves available. Another important factor about salt is salt penetrates. If you take a pinch of salt and you sprinkle it in a glass of water, it will penetrate and permeate the entire glass. Now, unfortunately, since so many have this false wall of separation between the sacred and the secular, many of us just, you know, we come to church on Sunday and we salt the salt. And we think that's the end of our responsibility. I was a salty Sunday school teacher. I salted the salty kids. Salt accomplished. You know, it's funny. Jesus didn't call us to be the salt of the Sunday school. Or salt of the sanctuary. No. Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth. And as the salt of the earth, we must penetrate and permeate all of it. That's our neighborhoods. That's our community. Our culture. Our society. Every human institution. Every human endeavor needs our salt penetrating and permeating it. I mean, think of it like this. As salt lends flavor to food, the Christian is actually supposed to be lending flavor to life. Sadly, from the world's perspective, Christianity takes out all the flavor of life. But you know what? Jesus wasn't that way, was he? No, no. In fact, Jesus himself, he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus was so magnetic. He was so engaging. He was so flavorful that common people flocked to him. And just as Jesus brought out the full flavor of life to those around him, so should we. We're his disciples, and he's called us salt. What else? Salt preserves. Salt has the ability to hold back corruption and it hinders rot. You know, Jesus lived in a day before refrigeration and freezers. So 
Salt was the only thing that prevented food from going bad. Salt has this ability to preserve things from contamination. Salt has this ability to delay decay. I hope these dots are connecting for you. Because as followers of Christ, we must therefore act as a preservative influence to stem the tide of corruption. Eric talked about that. On Wednesday nights, we've been praying against corruption in every sector of politics. Salt is to affect that. It is to stem the tide of corruption. It's to stand against impurity. It's to be there to help defeat the decay, to hinder the rottenness of the world system. And that preserving and preventative influence needs to be applied, again, not just in this building on Sunday morning. It needs to be in entertainment. It needs to be in sports. It needs to be in education. It needs to be showing up at businesses, the media, dear God, politics, the arts, in every level and every area of life. Salt needs to be there. And Jesus is saying, when he says, you are salt, he's saying, your righteous presence is absolutely essential to prevent decay and rottenness in the world. What else does salt do? It purifies. Salt has a medicinal quality to it. And yet, while it heals Sometimes it hurts, right? Who's ever gotten a salt <laughs> into a cut or a wound, a little sweat, and, oh, I didn't know I had a cut there. It stings. It burns, right? When the truth of God's word shows up in our lives, it gets rubbed in. Sometimes it hurts, especially open wounds. And guess what happens when that salt gets rubbed into the, to the open wounds of sinful society? It stings. And it's going to sting before it starts to heal. I mean, I think about the prophet Elijah. I mean, he was certainly an irritation to King Ahab, wasn't he? When you function as salt, your very presence, sometimes it can irritate people. People who are opposed to the things of God. And I, I love the comfort of what Jesus says in John 15. He says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Salt, it irritates. It burns before it starts to purify. You know, if you ask what's wrong with America, some would say, oh, it's activists promoting their agenda. You know, it's, 
It's liberal renegade judges destroying our nation's foundation. It's Hollywood. It's, it's fake news. It's the media. It's ungodly lifestyles that are being promoted in all sectors of media. And I will say certainly they are doing their part, but you know what the biggest problem is in America? You know where a large part of the problem lies? More than any of that other stuff. The blame for the moral crisis in America is at the feet of saltless saints. That's where the problem is. The problem is in me and the problem is in you. It's in our church and it's in churches all over America. We are becoming salt that is losing its savior. We don't look like him. We don't think like him. We don't live like him. We're losing our saltiness. And it's sad because we're living in a world that is rotting. It's in decay. God help us to take up the challenge of Jesus to be salt. Not just the salt of these four walls, but the salt of the earth. Salt that penetrates and permeates every area of life, both sacred and secular. A salt that preserves society from judgment by preventing the decay of rot and sin. And yes, sometimes that salt, it irritates and it burns our culture even while it's purifying and healing. If there were ever a day, if there were ever a time for us to function as the salt of the earth and make an impact in our world, guess when that time is? Right now. Now is that time. We have to be salt. We also have to be light. Light is also the essence of what we are to do and to be as Christ followers. You know, the Bible tells us plainly that God is love, but God is also light. Jesus even said of himself, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light is amazing. Light reveals, it exposes, it illuminates, it guides, it warms, it penetrates, it conquers the darkness. Life is essential to life. Light is essential to life. Just like salt. Did you know that the, the, the light of the sun actually powers our food chain? It is essential for the process of photosynthesis that enables plants to grow, which in turn become our food and the food of the other animals that we eat. Life cannot exist without light. 
And again, this, Jesus uses this metaphor to, again, reinforce how indispensable our influence is supposed to be in the world. You know, scientifically speaking, light is energy, and energy is the ability to do work. So when the light of Jesus Christ shines, things start happening. They're supposed to. Things like sin gets exposed. The way of salvation gets revealed. Truth gets proclaimed. Life is transformed. So light is supposed to have a tremendous influence. And so I want to focus on a couple of particular areas. That is light reveals. John describes Jesus as the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. You know, Jesus Christ is the great revealer of truth because Jesus himself is truth. And so light brings revelation, sometimes a negative and sometimes positive. So that light brings revelation in the negative way when it exposes sin. Yikes, that hurts. Man, when God lines, he goes, dude, what is up with this? I feel like Gollum. No, don't look at me. It hates the light. It hates the light. Light exposes sin. But light is also positive that it brings truth. Truth that I can build my life on and be successful. Truth that I can, I can raise my kids on and I don't have to worry about them walking away from the faith when they go to college. Truth that, that shows me and teaches me how to love my wife when I don't want to so I don't end up divorced one day. That's power. That is the power of light in my life. God's word, it is a flaming torch of divine revelation. The psalmist said that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And yet we live in a time when when our generation is like, you know, stumbling around in the darkness. What is truth? Just like Pontius Pilate, what's truth? You know, our culture is one that is ever learning, yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And it's so bad that many Americans believe Satan's lie. But there is no such thing as absolute truth. In other words, you know, the, 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 the very popular attitude is, well, you know, truth may be true for you, but what's true for you isn't true for me. What's true for me doesn't have to be true for you. The truth is just whatever I say. It's in the eye of the beholder. In this day and age, we have to let people know that truth is not different for every other person. Truth is not your opinion. Truth is what God's word says it is. 
You know, Jesus prayed to the Father. He said, or, you know, he says, your word is truth. God's word has the answer to every moral crisis we're facing as people and as a nation. Psalm 119 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. That makes part of our job is we are defenders and revealers. If we are light, we are defenders and revealers of truth. Another one of our mission statements, speak truthfully. We are to be that light that shines on the path that leads up and out of darkness, out of the deception of sin. Light is supposed to reveal. Light also overcomes. In John 1.5, it speaks of Jesus and it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Some people understand the light and some do not. Why is that? Mostly by choice. You know, some agnostics and atheists can't understand Christ for the same reason that a thief can't find a policeman. They don't want to. I like how John 1, 5 is in the RSV. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The New Living Translation says, could not extinguish it. Could not put it out. All of the darkness in this world, all of the darkness that hell has to offer, it cannot put out the light of Jesus Christ. You and I, we are light. Being light is a part of our responsibility as Christ followers. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he passed that torch on to us. He says, I'm the light of the world. Here you go, church. Now you're the light of the world. It is a fundamental principle that we must impact our world. Just like Jesus did, we have to be light in the darkness. In fact, the you in the verse, you are the light of the world, it is emphatic. So a better way to say that is you and you alone are the light of the world. Church, you and you alone are the light of the world. That's how strong that statement is supposed to be. God is depending on you and me to shine his light in this dark world. We can't pass the buck to anyone else. Well, we'll let science be the light of the world. I love science. I watch shows about science all the time. I think all of the discoveries are fascinating. They are not the light of the world. 
We can't pass the buck. It is our exclusive responsibility. If we don't shine, who's going to do it? It is our duty. It is our privilege. It is our exclusive responsibility. That means there's no pinch hitters. There's no substitutes in the kingdom of God. Nobody can do it for you. You, every one of you in this room, everyone watching on the internet who is a Christian, you are the light of the world. And I have a sphere of influence that you don't have, and you've got a sphere of influence that I don't have. So the responsibility to reach all people rests squarely upon each of us and upon all of us. Now, I realize that this feels intimidating, but God gives everyone certain gifts, certain talents, abilities, and it is always according to his divine purpose for your life. You can shine exactly right where God has placed you. I mean, you know, you can be like Moses. Well, I'm not much. I can't speak well. I don't sing. I don't have money. I'm not that smart or gifted. It doesn't matter. Just shine the light. I mean, remember, it's not your light anyway. It's his light. We're shining his light. And so God has calibrated your watts, your wattage. So whether you're a candle that's glowing softly in a small place, or you're a laser beam that can cut the gates of hell off at the hinge, turn on the light. Turn it on. Turn on the light. You are important to God. If you weren't, like I said at the beginning, he wouldn't have brought you here. You're not a waste. You're not just waiting to go to heaven. You're here to bring it, to shine, to salt. God made an investment in you. And he has given you talents. He has given you some ability. He's given you something, and he expects us to use it, to bring him glory. I'm begging you, don't miss where Jesus wants us to make an impact, is light. It's in the world. And one of our greatest obstacles in the church is that the greatest concentration of salt and light is right here in this building from 10 to noon, or one if you're a talker. I say it again, Jesus didn't call us to be the salt of the sanctuary. He didn't call us to be the light of the church. He called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The world means out there, in business, in the classrooms, in the halls of government, on the school board, at the neighborhood, at the community, 
out there. That is where it is. That is where we are to go and hinder the rot and dispel the darkness. So we need to understand that the church is not primarily the place of ministry. This is not the primary place for you to get your gifts on. This is the base. This is where we all get sent out. Go do your job at this part of the city. Go do your job at this part of, of the community. Go make disciples. But so many of us are used to things just getting darker. We're numb to it. There's this slow, sinister, subtle brainwashing process going on whereby we are gradually being desensitized to the dimming conditions of our culture. Little by little, sin has been made to appear less sinful. There's no more black and white. It's just a dingy shade of gray. The Bible says there's no fellowship between light and darkness. The Bible says there's no agreement between good and evil. You know, when the world wants you to be open-minded and quiet, what they actually want you to do is to crucify your conscience, compromise with the evil. It's time we just, we stop just cursing the darkness. It's time to turn on the light. It's time we stop whining and we start shining. Jesus has commanded Christians to be both salt and light. Salt is defensive in that it stops decay and it stops degradation. Light is offensive. It dispels darkness and it illuminates our path. Now, there are limitations to what the law can do. You know, you can't legislate a revival. You can't legislate a, a reformation. No. Nope. However, if revival and reformation occur, they will have a great influence and they will be reflected in legislation. They will be re reflected in our society's values. Yep. You see, the salt of the law, it can change actions, but it only is the light of the gospel that can change hearts and attitudes. See, the salt of the law can change behaviors, but only the light of the gospel can change beliefs. So here's the way I, I can see this working out for us. We as Christians, our job, share our faith with others. And when people come to know Jesus as Savior and they truly get discipled, their worldviews start to change. And when those of us with a biblically-based worldview reach a tipping point, we reach a critical mass it starts to influence legislation. 
That's not called a theocracy. That's called the democratic process. See, that's the way that slavery got abolished. It's the same way that racial segregation was banished from the law books. There was a tipping point where enough people said, this is wrong. We're not putting up with it anymore. And it's the same way Christians can restore once again to America a biblically-based system that protects all human life. Being salt and light is not an either-or. It's a both-and. If we exercise our influence in the proper balance, we can make a tremendous impact for the kingdom of God. Now, in a couple of weeks, we have the opportunity to influence our nation. We have an opportunity to vote. We have an opportunity to elect those who most closely reflect a biblical worldview. Forget about Republican and Democrat. Nothing in the Bible talks about either of those two people. It's not there. Those are man-made systems. Our political values and identity are to be based on Jesus Christ and the word of God, nothing else. And we have a responsibility to vote for people who strive to lead and legislate according to a biblical worldview. And just like Eric shared last week, your voice, it matters. And the last thing I want to say is pray. Please, Wednesday nights, I, Wednesday nights at 6.30, we are in this building. A small handful of us only right now are praying for our nation, for our leaders, for this election. Come on out and join us. Give of yourself, salty ones. Sacrifice a couple of hours to pray in agreement with us. Pray for, for God to give wisdom and revelation to our local and national leaders. You know, Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, he said, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We are to pray for our president. We are to pray for our Congress people. We are to pray for judges and governors and mayors and council people and law enforcement. Everyone who has a place of authority, we need to pray for them. We pray that God would give them wisdom. Give them wisdom to lead our nation according to Christian biblical views in our Bible. Biblical in our Bible. It's where they are. They're in the Bible, all the biblical things. 
And we should above all be praying for their salvation. Pray for them to be saved. It is only through a relationship with Jesus as Lord that they were, have even a chance of leading the way to be, become more biblically based in their decisions. It's the only way that, that we are going to live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness. We have to be salt and light. We have to pray. Let's do that now. Father, I just say forgive me, God, for being the salt of the sanctuary, the light of this building. God, I pray that you would forgive me, God, for not sharing my faith, for not lovingly impacting my culture. for hiding my light under a bowl, for allowing my saltiness to become without savor. Forgive us, God. Today, Lord, I pray that we would, we would all just lift our heads out of the the commotion and the chaos of the earth and get up where you have seated us with Christ in heavenly places so that we can see things from your perspective. That we would stop looking from the earth out and into and be, have those, gl- those glasses tinting our worldview, but that we would come up to the, to the word of God, to the heavenly places where we're seated and we would look with those filters God, I pray that we would be a salt that penetrates and permeates, that we would be a light that brings truth, a salt that hinders rot and decay. God, help us to shake off the cobwebs of our thinking, to, be, to wash our minds with the word, to be renewed and transformed in our thinking, God. We have a responsibility to be on your mission to go and make disciples of our nation and the nations of the world. So I pray today, God, that we would get up and go. Oh, God, get us up and go. God, take the fear out of our hearts that we're afraid of the backlash and the, and the social justice warriors that want to trash people of different opinions, God, help us to deal with that fear and get it out of our hearts. We're here to to bring a new love revolution of Jesus. We ask for salvations, God, of our leaders. God, all who don't know you, God, bring Let them be saved. God, I pray for them. Let them be saved in Jesus' name. Let let the message of the gospel be be, uh, beyond stupid politics. Just let salvation win. I pray that for our leaders, God, here in Newcastle, here in Indiana, here in America, God. 
We pray for those in authority, God. Bring them to the light of the gospel. God, we thank you that that you, what you've commanded us to do, you always equip. You've made us ready. We are able. And we want to say yes, God, to being salt and light in the earth. So God, we lift up our, our hearts and we say we agree with your word and we love you. We praise you, God. We will be salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen.